Welcome back, folks. Hey, Kristen, what do we have for this week? Hey, everyone. Welcome back. This week, we have a fantastic guest for all of you to listen to. It's a really long episode, but we really want you to get to it and listen to it. So we won't take up too much of your time. This week's episode was a really inspirational guest. He has a fantastic award-winning docudrama out. And his words of inspiration really meant a lot to us before and after we got to speak with him. Him and Eddie were two peas in a pod this week. Um, He is the Eddie from across the pond. So remember, if you love this episode and the show, to please leave a review. It means a lot to us and share this episode with a friend. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) in this corner, Eddie Gagner. And in the opposite corner, Kristen Gagnon! <laughs> this is What's Special About Special. Uh, I wanted to say that. Well, hello there. My name's Eddie Gagnon. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie, I don't want to be here all night. <laughs> Welcome and thank you for joining us. My name's Eddie Gagnon. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> Kristen. Your voice. <laughs> well, welcome everybody back. Welcome, Prakash. We have today as a guest, and we're really excited about having this guest on, we have Prakash Radhakrishnan. Welcome, Prakash. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Prakash is the creator of This Is Me docudrama. It's a documentary. Um, it's up on YouTube. You can find it there. We really... Really loved it. Eddie was moved to tears pretty quickly. It was yeah. awesome. You yeah. you got him. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, it, it is uh, in kind of just my natural intuition. I watching the movie and, you know, as it progressed, I was like, I know exactly where we're going. And so it's, it is very relatable. Um, yeah. And for me, and the way that it was presented is as a caretaker, very relatable yeah. in general. Yeah. Yep. So, um, amazing, powerful. Um, that was, that was, it was awesome. So, um, but of course, before we get into, you know, the big, um, big thing that we have our guests for, we do like to get to know you a little personally. Um, so before we get into that, um, we'd like to hear you to tell us about your story. Um, so for starters, uh, where are you from? So I am born and raised in London, UK. Great Britain, as some people refer it to. <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, I'm 34 and I still struggle with that. Is it London or Great Britain? <laughs> so, United Kingdom? Yeah. Yeah. London is the city. Yeah. See, yeah. see, I don't even know. I don't even know. Just say London. It, it encompasses oh, everything for everyone. Sweet. So you're from you're from London. Yeah. So I'm actually just from a small village outside of London, closer to Heathrow Airport. Okay. Uh, so luckily, there's there's no planes flying overhead at the moment. Otherwise, you'd hear them. Uh, so yeah, I was born here. I'm not going to say how many years ago, but let's say a while ago, uh, raised in the UK. My my parents are of uh, Indian origin. Mother's from Malaysia, dad's from India. I settled here in the UK, so I am classes, uh, I would say, second generation uh, Asian within the UK. And then 
that's pretty much as the story progressed. So I've got three elder siblings. Uh, two of them have got special needs. One is my sister and one is my twin brother, who he takes every opportunity, like every twin, to remind me that he is the older of the two twins. <laughs> and does it get annoying? Absolutely every time. But hey, he'll sibling love is sibling love and i've got another elder brother uh similar to myself campaigning and and working towards equality and inclusion of of disabilities and special needs of all sorts so you are the baby of the family i would like to think so until (laughs) i got married and then my wife took over that mantelpiece (laughs) i'm trying to get back but i keep getting told that's never going to happen no Never say never, right? Opportunities yeah. are always to be created, but I know, but I believe around that one. For another day, and you said your mother and your brother also they they work in the disabilities advocacy community as well. Yeah, uh, so my brother mainly uh, he runs a freight forwarding company, but he also does this on the side, similar to myself. Mom's a retired nurse so she's got a background in the medical background mm-hmm. uh which is dangerous to have yeah someone who knows the medical background but also is mummy bear so to speak yeah so going into a hospital with someone who knows medical background is is great for me yeah right say, mom right there's your job let's let's take care of it but yeah and and that's pretty much the glue that holds everyone sane together yeah just keeps maintaining general normality within the house there's singing random jokes and, and <laughs> random sports vernacular that he comes up with <laughs> i seem to find that that's like the job <laughs> moms that yeah in this community are either moms that were nurses that then just become these like powerhouse advocates or they become nurses because they're already kind of a nurse in a way so they just go into the nursing field because why not, right? Yeah, You're absolutely. a nurse on a regular basis it's, sometimes. I guess the, the maternal instincts of them is already there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can only imagine what it may be. I guess our only comparison would be the paternal instincts of what a father would do when when he becomes a father. That, yeah. Okay, not full protection of the child. So from from mother's point of view, it's already there. And to expand on it when you're already a nurse yeah. can only take her to a whole new level. And that's definitely what I've seen yeah. during during her, her professional career as, he, as well as post-retirement as well. That mantelpiece of constantly Googling, making sure you're staying ahead of the times. From a medical point of view, to yeah. obviously help facilitate the care and, and needs of, of my two siblings, which we'll go into. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. Like, you know, growing up, what was home like with two siblings with special needs disabilities? I mean, for me, it was more uh, normality mm-hmm. because again, I was born into it. So it's not as though I knew anything different, but yeah, I, I the first couple of years or some of the first moments or memories that, that I've got, it's thinking, why is he very noisy? Why is he very hyperactive? He's always giggling. He's always laughing, which there was nothing wrong with it. But then obviously later on, the more I grew, the more I understood that this isn't the status quo because siblings outside of 
of my network, maybe when I go to school, they're all talking about going away for the weekend, doing things with their brothers, sisters, this or, this or another. But all I could think about is, hang on, I've got to go home and take care of my brother and sister rather than going, say, for a birthday party or a wedding or a function or even to the movies, something as simple as that. Yeah. And it for my sister, my interaction with my sister wasn't, that much in the beginning because she was in a care home Okay. in the beginning years that I remember. How many she years apart came, are you? She only, uh, between myself and my sister? Yeah. Ooh. That would be about, about six years. Okay, so pretty okay. a pretty big gap. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking small. <laughs> about six years. Don't yeah, yeah. go beyond that. <laughs> I'm sure I'll probably get mom or my brother saying, you should know this age. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. I don't even get it right with my own kids. So. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, with my sister, it was, okay, we'll go for the weekend, pick her up, bring her back home. So she'll be home for the weekend, and then we'll take her back. So it was a fully functional care home at the time. Because uh, obviously my parents had to work. They obviously had to support us, uh, three other kids at home. So at the time, that was the best option for them. And later on, as services started cutting back, uh, which we're all very used to within the special needs and disability community, yeah, uh, she then moved back home and she's been home ever since. I would say she's been home for, for about 20 years on and off. And it just made sense that she's home now. Why unsettle her, keep her at home? Right. So now we we maintain having both my brother, my twin brother, and my sister at home, while the rest of us around the family are constantly running around to make sure that their needs are solely met first, in order for for us to then go on and and do what we need to for our own professional growth, as well as uh, life life wants. Right. That's tremendous. And we talk about that too, like having that support system or having the ability to have, you know, a, a community, a small community and a nuclear family like yourself, um, where you have all of that ability to have that support, um, which is huge because we, we talk about that all the time. Um, when you don't, when you have the single moms who are battling that, it's the, the weight of having to tend to your child. And, you know, it's just, it's immense. And I can imagine, um, but that, I mean, that is fortunate that you have that situation. Um, and it's great for your siblings, I'm sure, to be home in that life where, you, you know, it sounds like you guys are awesome. You guys have a great relationship. So um, that's, you know, really fortunate. Well, and I think, too, it speaks to the fact that, like, as we know, that, like, even with that support system, it probably... And, and, you know, tell us if I'm wrong, like it might, it must still get lonely as a caregiver, even with that support That's, system. Absolutely. I completely agree. I mean, it's also comes down to time management as well, right? Yeah. As much as you're there to take care of them for their needs, and we all will do that. At some point, you need to step back and have a break yourself because it can get emotionally tiring. It can get physically tiring some days if they don't sleep throughout the night mm-hmm. or interrupt your sleep. Now, we all struggle with with not that great a sleep on, 
on a good night. But if you have this extra responsibility, when do you mentally switch off? Right. You're thinking, have I done this? Have I done that? Has the breakfast been prepped for the morning or is there milk in the fridge? So small little things. You need to then try and force yourself in a way to step back and say, you know what? It's fine. Whatever's going to happen is hap- going to happen. They're safe. They're well. They're in a warm environment, a nurturing environment. That's all that needs to be. And yeah, at the beginning, we never had any family in the UK, external family, so cousins, uh, aunts and uncles. So our neighbors became our close confidants that would help uh, my parents as and when needed. If they felt sometimes they'd randomly drop off food packages, which was great. Uh, and other times it would be... <laughs> Maybe a bit too much food. Yeah. Uh, but right. again, it's it's knowing that you have that support structure in lots of different ways. And then as and when uh, some family abroad moved to the UK, it just bolstered that support network that I can now take that break or mom can then have a break or dad can now go and have a break mm-hmm. because there are other people to step in. And right. even if they're not necessarily stepping in, they're checking it. And just saying, look, everything okay? And just having those general chit-chats, which, which everyone enjoys, rather than how is Miro, how is Prasad, how is Pro-? Just talking about, oh, do you see the news? Or this is happening in this country? Or do you see this movie? Mm. To just kind of reset everything. So it, it helps mentally switch off as well. Yeah, And just makes us all feel as though we're part of that wider community rather than... We're dealing with special needs or learned disabilities and everything that goes with it. Being a caregiver, we're only a caregiver. So there's lots of different facets to it, as I'm sure you already know. Well, I think you you brought up a really good point that gets forgotten. And I don't know if this is a cultural difference or, you know, something that's specific here to America that I notice a lot that gets forgotten. Here in America, there's a culture of, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to mind my own business. You're doing your thing. I'm not going to bother you. And very often, and to flip the coin on that, there's also a culture of, I've got this. I'm, I'm on my own. I'm independent. I'm strong. I'm doing this. So you don't reach out your hand for asking. You don't communicate and someone won't say, Hey, I'm going to drop off a meal. Hey, I'm going to check in on you. Hey, I'm going to come over and let's chat about anything that's going on. It just doesn't happen. So that cult, that community doesn't necessarily get built here, but there's that social media community and that's it. But it's just, it's so almost more lonely because you're watching everybody's great life pass by and you're like, Oh, I shared this. I liked that. But that actual physical community doesn't really happen here. And I think that it should much more, you know, we talk about it. If someone passes away, someone starts a meal train or, and that happens occasionally if it's a really tragic something or, but other than that, you just don't check in on people and you don't know what's going on in their life. There's two, two opposite ends of the spectrum, which constantly happen on a regular basis. But it's just knowing that someone is there to be able to check in. Yes. And yeah. We've spoken a lot about it over the last few months in the news with, with the pandemic that's going in, just check in, have these, these conversations. But is it actually genuinely there? Sometimes yeah. it's not. And 
I guess from a caregiver's point of view, we we find it difficult to ask for help because we're so used to having our finger on the pulse that we need to get things done. Yeah. It's almost yeah. regimental, military style, that bam, 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 this time this has to happen. There's, there's no leeway of, okay, we'll do it in 10, 15 minutes. No, it has to be done now. It has to be done now. And that just becomes a habit. And as much as there's nothing wrong with it, it doesn't allow that room to nurture yourself yeah. and to right. be able to grow sometimes. Sometimes it can be an inhibition. And within that, we struggle to ask for that help because we feel if someone's coming in to help, are they going to be able to maintain the same routine and schedule that we have built up? Because naturally, uh, anyone with some sort of uh, intellectual or physical disability has a certain routine they want to maintain. Now, if you're a caregiver, especially a family member as a caregiver, uh, my experience, you're more uh, you're more stuck to that routine. And yep. even two or three minutes here and there, it's it's as though a volcano has erupted. And like, how dare you? You can't do these things. Yeah. Like, actually, you can. It's fine. It's still gonna get done, but probably not in the the same way you want it done. But the end result is still going to be there. Yeah. And I've had, I've even had to tell myself, I've noticed this, had to learn that like sometimes that, that result of it didn't get done the right way or the right way or the way that I think it, you know, it's going to need to be done because otherwise there's going to be a meltdown or something's going to happen. That, that reaction is usually only to me, but if we have a babysitter or someone and they do it a different way, they don't necessarily always react in that same meltdown fashion. And I'm always like, what? Sometimes I'm almost like annoyed. I'm like, well, why wouldn't why they? they? But I don't actually uh, want that to happen. Yeah, but. Oh, I know. I know you get mad about that. <laughs> I don't really want. I'm like, no, I just did this. And she'd be like, they let you? The kids let you do that? Yeah, yeah. No, it's fine. It was fine. Oh, they? Yeah. But I think it's because. I mean, but that's the thing. It's everyone's got their own way of. Yes. Of, uh, their own perception of, of what needs to be done. I mean, there's only very few things on the planet scientifically proven that are actually as it is. Mm-hmm. So we all breathe air, we all excrete air. So it's small little things, but in terms of our actions, there's there's old sayings, I'm sure, in the US, there, there are quite a few that there's multiple ways to get a job done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as caregivers, especially as a primary caregiver, my parents being a primary example of myself, we are very stuck to this routine. I know I am for myself because I've seen my parents do it. So I'm like, okay, it works for them. This is how it needs to be maintained. Yeah. So if a carer comes in and we, we have external carers coming in just to alleviate some of the pressure yeah. uh, that's that's put on us, and they do it somewhere completely different or they prepare their food differently or they 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 prepare their cupboard in a different way or like no yeah shirts here socks here food needs to be prepared x y and z because our conception is that when we open the cupboard door we need to know where it is yeah if it's in the middle of the night if it's doesn't matter the time of day i should be able to close my eyes go straight to it pick it up and that's what it is well time is of the essence too Absolutely. And the thing is, there's there's nothing right or wrong about it. Right. And sometimes I find that as caregivers, and this is something that I've noticed uh, by having different conversations with people around the world that I've connected through through the video and various support groups, that 
we just like a sense of routine. We just get so happy with that routine that we don't want it to break. Yeah. Right. Whereas there's nothing right or wrong about it. Sometimes I wonder if I became a type A personality or if I already was one because everyone we talk to seems to be type A personality. I'm like, well, I wonder if we were just created, if we just happened to all be type A or did we become no, type A person? you weren't always like this. <laughs> you used to be fun. Out of necessity. <laughs> well, why type A? You could be another letter, right? Yeah, I'm going to make one well, you up. Could be a, you could be a number if you wanted to. Yeah, I like that. But again, it's throughout life, and it's, it's a societal thing as well, we start fixating labels on onto things and people rather than just being very present and living in the moment. And just dealing with the moment, we start adding emotions onto it, like crying, panicking, frustration. It could be something that's come out of some an experience from when we've been a child. I know from when I've been a child and I saw my brother being very hyperactive or ripping up a magazine, so to speak, because he was just trying to irritate everyone. But I may have perceived that to be something completely different, that yeah. he's maybe attention-seeking. And then, obviously, uh, most daughters are the apples of their dad's eye. So I would think, okay, why is dad always going to my, my sister? And right. like, Hang on, I'm the baby of the house. Right. I insist I'm on the baby on the house. <laughs> why am I not getting seen to it? And they're older than me. But, again, these are the, the emotions that we're adding onto it, which sometimes gets to us more than it actually needs to. Right, right. Yeah, I think that makes really – that's a really good point. Now – as you know, like you just said, I mean, most of your childhood was your childhood. It was your perception of reality, right? It's just, it's your reality. You didn't know any different, which I think is a great, as a parent with children and in one child who is, you know, in a, sometimes of a caregiver role, which I, we try our best to, to kind of balance that. So she's not so much of a caregiver sometimes. Cause right now she's 12 and we're, you know, she doesn't need to be, but there are times that she steps into that. I mean, right. Even right now. It, and we do know, I mean, I've said this a lot, like she's older, she's at babysitting age. Other siblings are babysitting too. That's just her age range. But you know, the, she does a little extra because he needs a little extra. So we try to kind of be aware of that. But I think and get concerned sometimes, oh, are we giving her too much responsibility? How is she feeling about that? Are we affecting her down the line? I'm overthinking it as a parent. Definitely. How much, you know, do you feel now looking back? <laughs> You're funny. Do you feel now looking back as an adult? Did you feel that you had too much responsibility as a kid? You know, how does it affect you now? Interesting question. Uh, my flat answer to that is no. At the time, I think it was more confusion, trying to understand that, okay, this is a big world. These are the things that I'm learning in school. Where does that fit into home? Or these are the things I'm doing at home. Where does that fit into school? Yeah. So indirectly, you, I created two separate worlds. So home was home. Didn't share home at school because no one outside of the home would understand and you don't share school at home mm -hmm. because once you come home you don't have time to sit down and do everything rather than sit down have your dinners do your studies get washed up go to bed and then the next day starts all over again so from from a cultural point of view in the uk it's 
it's not something that's openly talk, spoken about. And I know in the Asian community generally, uh, I'm talking from my own perspective, I'm not generalizing that. Again, it's one of those things that people don't like to openly talk about to oh. say that so once we have a brother and sister with, with a special needs or a disability. I mean, when was the last time any of us went to, say, a wedding or a big, big function, non-family orientated when there was someone with a disability? Could be someone in a wheelchair yeah. or someone who has, say, cerebral palsy or, or any different avenues of uh, disabilities or special needs. They just don't seem to be there. Very few. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Right. And this is the thing that because I made them two separate worlds over such a long period of time, it became normality. Mm -hmm. But it got to a point where you're then stretching yourself over so many different areas of life because you want to enjoy being a kid and growing up and have the same things that everyone else does. But at the same time, you want to maintain your responsibilities at home right. because you don't want... For me, I didn't want my parents to go through it alone. Right. I mean, they had their their friends, their their support networks. But again, I'm I took it on as I'm a, a member of this household. I'm the son in this house. I've got to equally step up to the plate because at some point we hate to have those conversations. It's going to come back to myself and my other brother. Right. right. So we need to be able to take take over the mantelpiece, so to speak, and understand the dynamics and the com severe complexity of everything that it takes, be it from a state level, the financial impacts, the decision-making, the everyday to talking to clinicians, to really get to grips and understand it from the basics. So the, the sooner we got involved in it, the sooner we would have a better idea. And as we all know, Things from a clinician's point of view constantly keeps changing. Yeah. yeah. Constantly feeling as though you have to put on the armor, the helmet, the guards and everything and go for a full out fight, even though you don't want to, because it's, again, like we've spoken about previously, when you go to a hospital or you see any clinician or anyone really, their first response is, how do I deal with this? Yeah. Not the fact that this is another human being. It's irrelevant how you deal with it. Yes. You deal with it the same way you deal with anyone else. But because they, they're they not trained or they don't have the experience to deal with it on the cuff of the hat like they would with everything else, it then takes another five, ten minutes for them to calm down and them to get the grips rather than just treating them like a human being, but just adapting it in a different way which right. they would do for any other human, right? Well, I think that in general, I mean, we've seen it here. I think that there's been a, there's been a shift in, in that world right now where they're trying to get back to it. But for a while there, it's been, you've got 15 minutes to see a patient, you're in, you're out. So that humanity part of it has been almost trained out of clinicians. And so they've got 15 minutes. There's no time for that that humanity part we're in, we're out, we're going to talk about it. We're at. So a lot of times I had noticed in the beginning, like no one was even looking at him, talking to him. It was black and white. We're in and out. Let's tell me about the diagnosis. Tell me about this. Okay. Bye. And I was like, Hey, can we talk about how things have changed? What I've been seeing, talk to him, look at him, notice the things that I've, I'm noticing, like have him walk a little bit. They don't want to know. So we switched hospitals. Well, cause then it's more to, 
Do you, honestly, when you talk about that, you, you're adding more variables. Yeah, like and these, it's more these work doctors for them. are like, okay, oh, okay, fine. Well, now I got to introduce you to this specialist. And now we saw that. About, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, and I understand. I mean, on both sides, they're trying to do a job and they're trying to do the best that they can. There's so many well, like healthcare costs are very high. So I know for what we pay. Yeah, but the thing is, is it more about healthcare or is it more about numbers? Yeah. And that's the thing. In recent times, it's become you've got a set quarter that you need to get done in, say, per shift or per, per hospital or per ward. Yep. Get it done. Because right. if you don't, then our funding drops or so many other yeah. different variables that contribute to it. Then it's a business. Okay, just give us that yep. extra five minutes. And rather than speaking to them directly with the notion of, no, they are the patient, we can only speak to them. Hello, we're the caregiver. We're with them on a regular basis, if not every day. Right. We can probably give you a few extra insights into what you're trying to figure out five times quicker than you can get to it. Right. And, and it could give be you the more info. thing by their facial expression or something that they may do that triggers you to, okay, that's what it is. Yes. And then you tell the doctor rather than saying, are you okay? Is anything hurting? Is this? And if the person is nonverbal, yeah. where do you go from there? Yeah. Exactly. It makes it that much more tricky for them. So I do get where they're coming from, but I strongly believe that more communication needs to happen between clinicians as well as the caregivers. And it's not just clinicians. I'm not just going to blame them. It's it's this restaurateurs. It's it's the entire spectrum outside of people who've got special needs and learning disabilities and caregivers. Well, I think the more it gets like this, the more conversation that happens, the more yeah. it's recognized and the more people are just aware. And when you're out at a restaurant, we're out anywhere, the more instead of speaking, you're, you're speaking to the whole you're just yeah. fully having a conversation as if you're having a conversation at a table. I think that's the biggest thing that we, I've noticed like even when we're out, you know, it, cause Eddie uses his wheelchair for long distance. So it's very rare that we have it with us. But when we do sometimes I've noticed a big shift in how he's treated and I'm just like, he's, nothing has changed yeah. except for how he's getting around. And then all of a sudden someone's you know, vocal range is in a different spot or their tone has changed and oh, how, how cute he is all of a sudden. And he is cute. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't change, but it's just yeah. how we're speaking to him or, or the, so, and, or a little kid will say something to their mom. And instead of just saying, Oh, what's your wheelchair for? And Eddie will just tell them it's we're whispers and whispers, which yeah, or don't stare, don't stare. Hundred like, well, percent. Stairs, I hate those. Yeah, that you suck. so and easy. You can feel the eyes that are somewhere there in the background. You know, like, and it's yeah. all I ignorance. Come over and say something, but I don't want to. Yeah, and I don't want to like, and it's all just them being them, just not knowing enough. Like, I, it's not out of it's not out of yeah. anything that they're trying to be mean or anything like that. They're really just trying children to children are just naturally curious. It's not even just children, even adults. Like I don't think yeah. anyone's being mean spirited. I think they're just they just don't know the right way. And if somebody's uncomfortable, which I totally understand, I've even in my myself found myself in a situation where you just you don't if you don't know what you don't know, you're uncomfortable and you might say or do I always like liken it to and we all know anyone who knows me knows I do this. I've not once handled a funeral or a wake 
in the right way. Oh, I always geez. say the wrong thing. I always do the wrong thing. I handle the whole situation incorrectly. And I'm stuck with her like at these <laughs> events. So everybody's like, oh, look at these two. And I'm like, it's not me. <laughs> I'm the good hugger. Like, I'm the good one. That's how I think about it. Like, uh, it's not because I don't have, I don't mean well. I just do not handle the situation well. I get nervous. I get, and then I just fumble over the situation. I think that's yeah. probably what's happening. So I either have an opportunity to educate and I can, even if I'm, maybe I'm in a mental crappy headspace. Maybe I'm, you know, I know that it's not my responsibility to teach the world because sometimes I'm just having a shitty day and I don't want to do that. But some days I'm like, okay, this is the day I'm going to just say, no problem. If you want to come over and ask him what, why his wheels light up or, and just nicely, yeah, or just nicely do it because inside I just want to be like, just ask him but i have to like take a breath and be an educator at that moment because otherwise the world isn't gonna know the right way to handle yeah absolutely i mean it's similar to what you just mentioned there's there's a large amount of ignorance that is out there and i guess in today's culture and community especially growing up there's what do you say? And if you say it the wrong way, am I then going to get sued or am I then going to have some sort of fine thrown on me? I mean, it's, it's not a bad thing to have these open conversations, but you can also see it the other side that people are reluctant to have these conversations because out of fear of what is the ramifications going to be? Is something going to come back? Some people really don't give two hoots about it. Uh, I, I did have to cover up some of the words I was going to say. You can say. You can on swear here. on this podcast. It's the best thing about this thing. No, no, don't because it, it, it won't stop. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for a blooper session. <laughs> okay, okay. Again, it's similar to when you, you see someone who's got, uh, say, is in a wheelchair right? mm-hmm. or has a disability, or even more commonly. A mother with with a pram trying to get into the car. Yes. Do you help? Do you not? Some people instinctively will jump up, but some people are like, "Okay, I'll help." But what is someone else going to say? Right. Or they may take the help to be that I'm. I've got sympathy on. I'm being sympathetic right. rather than being empathetic. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a very fine line between the judgment of what is being sympathetic. And what is being empathetic? Because from a caregiver's point of view, I would rather the empathy yep. rather than sympathy. Yes. Sympathy, I I can go back home and cry my eyes out if yep. I was going to or, or to a support group or understand it. But from the general overall community who are not in that place, empathy is such a powerful thing. And even if it's one or two words or you're okay or do you want me to hold the pram, the wheelchair, or the door? Small little things like that have made an enormous impact on that person's day and even the next couple of days. Because, again, similar to to the video that I created, we all have good days. We all have bad days. We all have the in-between days. Could have been better or the other days where we're lapping ice cream because it's been a fantastic day and we've got everything out of the way so soon. But Right. Well, I Isn't think everything in life like that. Yeah, I think I think exactly what you just said, like the sympathy versus empathy. I think the way you know which one is ha- or what to do 
just go with your gut. And we've all had that moment where you see something and you're not exactly sure to do your gut happens and you're like, uh, do that. The second that that gut moment, you feel something, just do it and go with it. What is the worst? I mean, worst case scenario, they're going to tell you to screw off and you're done and you're bad and that's it. And you feel kind of crappy, but you at least made that attempt to be, to do the right thing and it doesn't work out. Okay. But you can walk away knowing, okay, I might've done that wrong, but at least I tried. I tried. The yeah, other I mean, flip side, they're on their own. Just, correct. I mean, that person may tell you to screw off because they're having one of those bad days. Yes. Yeah. Or maybe in just that moment that they've just got so flustered with everything that they're having to deal with, it just got on top of them. Yep. Came to them two minutes earlier or while you were deciding what your gut should do, if you acted on your instinct and, okay, I've seen that, got to help. That split second could be all it took to, for them to completely come down to neutrality and say, you know what, thank you. Yep. Or even just a simple thank you very much. Or, you know what, I've got it, it's okay, but thank you for, for offering. Yeah. All you've got to do, and that'll have such a big impact on, on myself, if that was for me, as well as the person you're trying to help. Yeah. I just got to edit when I called her the wrong name. Listen, this editing is taking forever. I have to go grocery shopping. Yeah. That's why you should go to Instacart right now. (laughs) They connect you with a personal shopper in your local area to deliver groceries from your favorite stores. Instacart delivers groceries in as fast as one hour. Hey, listeners, by following the link in our show notes, you help support our show. By doing this, Instacart is offering our listeners free delivery on your first order over $35. So now I think this is a perfect transition. I mean, speaking on empathy, your docudrama, This Is Me, really, I think, speaks on that for sure. How did this come about? What ins- what inspired it? I mean, my assumption is, you know, your life inspired it. But tell us a little bit about how it came about. Okay, where do we start with this? Uh, <laughs> so I'll give you a bit of a background content. So about three and a half years ago, I I had open heart surgery. Oh, wow. Geez. Very, very randomly fell ill, got a, the usual winter bug that usually goes around. Uh, but that progressively got worse and worse, got admitted to hospital. And then after a couple of days in the hospital, after a day in hospital, they said, look, you've got a heart issue. Okay. So a couple of tests, forward, forward, forward. So fast forwarding a couple of months, I then got told, by the way, you need open heart surgery. And I had no idea about this until I was going into a a (laughs) CT scan machine. Wow. MRI, sorry. Halfway in, doctor comes in and says, by the way, this is your scan for your heart surgery. So like you're like on the little conveyor belt. They're like, you'll need surgery when yeah. you come back. Bye. I know. It's, <laughs> I've, had, I've had a similar experience. And by the way, you can't move on while you're on this uh, this crazy thing that yeah. goes into the machine. As it's, the noise scares the shit out of you. you go, ah. Yeah, it's the worst. Correct. <laughs> and I was like, uh, what surgery? It's like, oh, you didn't know. Yeah, my face was, and my reaction shows that I'm completely 100% about mm. surgery. It was like, right, so we need to have this conversation. But anyway, we'll save that for another day. 
So fast forwarding that I, I had the surgery came out and for first, first four months, I couldn't see anyone. I was in complete isolation. Oh my gosh. Uh, couldn't see my, my siblings. Uh, it was only my wife, mom, because of her medical background and immediate, immediate family. So everything else was completely topsy-turvy. Uh, spend more time watching YouTube uh, than I did anything else. Sleeping by during the day, YouTube at night. And FYI, there are some very random videos on YouTube. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Insanely random. But, but at least I got to catch up on some old classics, Tom and Jerry, Garfield, Simpsons, uh, to name some. <laughs> And then, so it's within that, I started thinking, you know what, there's got to be something here for for siblings, uh, such as myself, because there's a lot of support groups, which you've touched on earlier for for the parents of the clinicians of for uh, key workers, the overall professional stuff that take care of the everyday things. But what is there for the siblings? Someone like myself who has brothers and sisters like this, and I know in the area I'm in, there are a lot, there are a few of them. So if that's just my area, what is there in in the country as well as globally? So I started doing a lot of research into it. Some good, some bad, lots of indifferent stories, and came finally came across a charity in the UK called Sibs UK, which was. Fantastic. So after I could start moving around post-rehabilitation, contacted them, went to one of their uh, national meetings that they had and just said, look, hey, I'm so-and-so. I've got two siblings with special needs. And the weight that came off my shoulder, because I'm now able to share this with someone or a community that understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. Right. And it was own. So SIBS is a charity works for only the siblings. So my wife wouldn't have been able to come to it. My parents wouldn't have been able to, because there's certain emotions and feelings that only a sib could resonate with. Right. So that was one good thing. So while I was there, uh, I was very conscious that I was the only or one of the only uh, ethnic minorities there. And this is a room of probably 50, 60 odd people. Wow. So hang on, this can't be right because I know there are more out there. Yeah, I'm I'm not the only one. If I was, then I'd be singing, dancing about it to an extent. But, right. Uh, so I had a conversation with them, and I said, "Look, am I the only one?" They're like, "You're the only one who's willing to take that step forward and have that conversation wow. and come to our events." I was like, "So that struck me." I was like, "Really? That's surprising." So I got home and then a couple of days later, the uh, one of the organizers sent me an email and said, look, do you mind writing a case study on your experiences of having siblings with, with special needs? So I, I wrote that. It, it took me a year. Like most things, where do you start? Right. How do you start documenting your first feeling, the first notions of what it was like, the weather, the this, the that? One home, I came home from work, switch on laptop. I was like, you want, it's getting done tonight. I don't care how it's going to get done. It's going to get done. So did that, submitted to them. They were more than happy. I did give them the option of, of changing things if they needed to. Or They said, no, we love it the way it is. So that was the birth of the case study. Fast forward a couple of weeks where I was sitting uh, uh, for dinner with a couple of friends in London and his wife turned around and said, uh, why didn't you turn this into like a, 
a YouTube video yeah. or a, a, a Vimo video. And I was like, it was hard enough putting it into words. Yeah. Where would I start finding someone who can who can video it? Because it's not something I can do. Because I have no no idea and concept of, of filmmaking. So incidentally, her husband, who has a small uh, film company, said, "You want? I'll do it." You know what? <laughs> That's how it happens, though. That is awesome. That's how it happened. They they say a lot of things happen. A lot of good deals happen in restaurants or golf golf, golf <laughs> yeah. courses. I completely concur with this because the food was amazing. The company was great. Could have been better if my wife was there, but I think she was traveling. Oh. Had to get that big in. Uh, <laughs> she le- yeah, she wasn't it there. It just worked. Wow. She was traveling. I think she was in uh, New York visiting her parents at the time. Uh, so that's pretty much how it came. And incidentally, the following day, the charity came forward and said, look, would you mind turning this into a video so we can show it to our funders and the people in our network? You're like, by the way. Thought, Hang on. A charity is asking me. Yeah. The charity is asking me. Some friends have asked me to do it because they feel the visual impact will be there, not just in written. I thought, okay, there's, there's something here. There's something happening that I'm resistant to. Mm. So let me just give up the case study and let's just see where it goes. So I handed over the case study to to him that night at the restaurant. He took it away, sat down with another member of uh, the the company that he has, and they wrote the entire script. Uh, they gave it to me, and the script writer, his name is Jags, said, "Look, if you want to change anything, change it, but please tell me." We had uh, conversations about it. Said, "No, more than happy." He was like, "But there's got to be something," as though. He was looking for something to be changed. And I was like, no, you've nailed every single thing. <laughs> yeah. From the script to the visualization, the narration of it was completely his. And the visualization was thanks to uh, the owner of this company, Narinda. Uh, so the two combined created This Is Me. Nice. And it was in the living room where we came up with the title. We, we pondered for a couple of hours of what do we call it? Would this have an impact with that? I just turn around and said, you, you know what? It is as it is. This is me. People like it. They like it. They don't. They don't. In that moment, this is me was formed. Yeah. And, and that's where we are today. It's great. I mean, it had an impact for sure on yeah, us. Definitely. We, I mean, we clicked it on and we were like, okay, let's check it out. Let's see what this is. And I think it was, I mean, it's more than just, oh, this is a story of a sibling caretaker. It's a story of that. Plus, you know, what as in general, what it's like to be a caretaker and you guys pretty quickly on hit home of visually how it feels to kind of feel alone, even when you're not alone in it. Yeah. Absolutely. It's just, it is, you know, it's funny, like, you know, you know, we, our life is so different, but similar in a different way. Like, you know, just be like you, when you mentioned it before, like on a regular basis, I can be running around doing a thousand things in my brain. There's a thousand more going on. I'm thinking about, okay, tomorrow what's on the agenda. I have to make sure I have this, I have that, this it's, it's exhausting and it's tiring. And so 
I'll have friends or family members that'll say, well, you know, you know that, like when we took this vacation, I was like, we need a vacation. Everyone's like, well, everybody needs a vacation. We're in COVID. I'm like, no, I don't think anyone understands how badly, yeah. like I'm going to have a nervous breakdown if we don't just get a few days to completely reset without the kids, because it's not the kids that we need the reset from. It's the nonstop 24 seven. Yes. Like well, like, let's be honest, the kids are like 20%. I mean, they're percentage. <laughs> I mean, parenting is caretaking as a whole. Right. And then you add the extra onto it and then just life. And it was just, it, we were, yeah. we were at a point where I think we were just really burned out and we were recognizing it. And I think, yeah. you know, I get it. We, there's probably a lot of people that are burned out and need a vacation and COVID is burning people out. But I'm not going to apologize for being able to say, Hey, I'm burned out and I need this and I'm going to do this for myself. I'm, I'm just, we're not going to apologize Ooh. for needing those few days. You can't because no, absolutely. we shouldn't do Ooh, kudos to you. Yeah. The people that, that are able to stand up and to say, look, I'm burning out or I need to take a step off the accelerator. Mm -hmm. Someone please just step in. Even if they're there to have a cup of tea with yourself yes. or, to just go for a walk with yourself, just right. five, 10, 15 minutes, whatever it is to allow you to switch off is, is extremely beneficial. Well, and I think we learned from this that we probably wouldn't have gotten to that level of burnout if we had done exactly what you just said, taking a little time yeah. out here and there Oh yeah, would we not have gotten it. to us to that level but of burnout. remember when the last burnout nearly came. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to learn our That's lesson. That's the thing. This is the thing. We keep saying we're going to learn. <laughs> I know. I'm equally corporate to it. But the thing is, we get so consumed within everything that needs to get done. And like you just uh, alluded to earlier, that you've got a thousand things to do. If you're doing this, you've got that. But it takes that one phone call, uh, that one text message or SMS to say, so-and-so is a little unwell. Suddenly everything breaks down. They're like, okay, I've got a mountain here. I now have to throw all the things that, okay, why are they unwell? Or haven't I given this medicine? Or haven't they eaten this? Or have they fallen somewhere? Or do I have taken to a clinician? Or is there someone that can help me? We then add all these things on rather than just saying, well, hang on, it's cold outside. They probably just got a simple cold. Yeah. Yeah. But we add everything on and that speeds up our process of getting to that burnout point. I've yeah. seen it way too many times for myself and I keep telling myself I'm not going there. Yeah. But I think it just comes with with being a caregiver. It's yeah. It happens. I guess parents would also go through that point. Just taking care of their kids. At some yeah. point you get to that point where you're like <laughs> Oh, Christmas there. While, you're just yeah. having a closed room time to scream, shout, do whatever. Neutralize yourself and come. And say, hey, how are you? How are you and Carry on. But yeah. Now, yeah. Where do we have that as keggers? Yeah, I think. Which is why we have to be very regimental and factor it in. It's extremely important. Yeah, like that's what I think I've learned that I'm not going to be annoyed when I see friends that are like, I go to the gym three times a week. And I'm like, what? But you know what? Good for you. You take three times a week to just do something like I'm going to do something like that. <laughs> I don't know when or what. I always say I'm too tired. But you know what? I'm not. I'm too tired because I'm not doing that. Look at you grow as yeah. a person. I am Kristen. growing. I'm growing. I'm so I'm this vacation was so impressed. good for me. I know. <laughs> See, so, vacations are grow. But the thing is, you're also you're tired. 
not from a physical point of view, but more of a mental point. Yes, of view, exactly. Which we spoke about earlier. You're not able to switch off because there's always something you're constantly thinking about. Yes, that's exactly. Your brain is always going. It's like a hamster wheel. Yeah, but the thing is, within all of that, look at some of the things that, say, a young caregiver is developing, or mm. someone who develops into this from a young age. They learn resilience. They learn the true meaning of humanity, being able to take care of someone else, which is true, unaffected love rather than romance and everything else, which is great. She's not listening, so that's fine. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, and I had this at a workshop, which I did last year, with some kids uh, kept asking, uh, or even their parents, why me? I'm like, but why not? Yeah. You're yeah. learning some seriously hard skills now. So when it comes to going to your first interview or going into the professional world, resilience, you've already got it. You've got it in bucket loads. Yeah. Determination, it's already there. Otherwise, yeah. you're not going to be here. Um, hardworking, already there. You probably got it before you were even born. Yeah. So it's these small little soft skills that you can really say. Because when an, an interviewer or an employer comes back, says, okay, why do you think you, you're hardworking? Why do you think you have the skills? Let me show you a bit about my world. Um, Watch that. This, and this is the thing. When my manager first saw it, I don't know why he chose to watch it at work. I walked in one day, had no idea. And he was like, why didn't you tell me? What am I going to tell you? That I've got this? Yeah. Why would I? I don't want it to affect my professional life. Right. Because again, it's work is work, home is home. He's like, no, but if you need help, it's like, I've got this. I know what I need to do, when I need to do it. And mm-hmm. I've got a support structure outside of here mm-hmm. that allows me to do that. And, but it also works for, for the other members of that spot truck and not just. So again, it's, it's having these conversations similar to what you're creating and creating that presence that let's have that conversation. Let's have those open free communications with different people within society to help start breaking down these, yeah. these artificial taboos that are for some reason there in our community and culture. Right. And it is globally. It's not just oh. in, in London. It's not just in the U S sure. it is a global issue. I think a big, like you just said, I and mean, we saw, I, I saw this firsthand um, and what you just said about, you know, like going to work really hit home because before we started this podcast, you know, I had like just that we had all these friends when we first started having kids in this group of close friends. And then as things progressed with our son and everything, it's not that we lost friends. It's just, we kind of all went our separate ways. And in my brain, I was just like, well, they just don't understand our world and that's okay. Cause their world is so different now. And we just did our thing and they didn't think, and then it would get to the point where Eddie would say things like, we don't really have any friends. And well, they're just, they don't, they're, they don't really understand my world or their world's so different. And then we started this podcast and, you know, we do talk a lot about our life, even though we're talking about resources and things. And then I, I've gotten a few phone calls recently from, you know, friends that I haven't talked to in a long time. And they'd be, they'll say things like, I, I just didn't know exactly what your life was like. Yeah. And now we do. Why wouldn't you just, yeah. and I'm like, I just, in my world, I'm like this, I, your world is so different. I wouldn't want you to feel like you'd have to jump into this or feel like it's 
a burden or, or I don't know, I guess I felt like a guilt almost. And so it's similar. Same with work. Like I wouldn't want to have this like stigma over me at work where they felt that they had to give me some leeway or like I work hard and I want that to present itself. But the other exactly. side of things is when things get hard, no one's giving you a break because they don't know there's something you actually do need a little bit of a break. So they have to know your life. That comes from, again, being able to open up and talk and say, look, I need that extra like half an hour in the morning or I'm going to be a little late. Not to affect my work because I've got this. I've got to take care of it. And then I'll be in and then I'll be as effective. You want me to work later? That's fine. But then again, it it also comes back to this topic of that fine line between sympathy and empathy. Yes. Yeah. Especially when it comes to friends, I completely resonate what you just said, because once the video went live, I had some friends that I haven't spoken to since my college days uh, that came back and said, we knew about your sister. We didn't know about your brother or vice versa. Why didn't you tell us? I was like, we're in college. Where? Yeah. Are we going to sit down and have a conversation <laughs> about this in our first year of college? Yeah. Everyone's too busy enjoying college. Yeah. <laughs> things that, that everyone knows happens in college. You're being very yeah. studious. I don't remember that time at the party where everybody's like, hey, divulge your deepest, darkest secrets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the thing is, we all like, but you could have told us. Okay, but at what stage within say the three, four years of being in college, were you in that mindset mm -hmm. where you were willing to listen authentically without anything else going on about someone else's world? Right. And even if you were, how much would you actually process? Because your mind is probably thinking about your thesis or the next exam or when am I going back home or what am I going to have for dinner or man, my socks mismatch. How yep. did I not put the right socks on? Small little things like that. And he was like, yeah, but you should have stopped me. I was like, no. <laughs> be, it then, be it now. No one is ever in that space to have that yes. conversation. And yeah. it's not as though we don't try to have the conversation with people who aren't in that realm. Because it just means that we're expanding our support network. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's easier said than done because other people have other things going on. And it's not as though they don't want to be part of our world and vice versa. It's just that the things that they've going on are not are more of a priority than the conversations that we potentially are going to have. Right. And again, it could be just in that moment. You speak them at a different time. They'll be all is. Well, I and think this these, platform is that important even more because you're, that you take out that, that level of formality and now someone just picks up a podcast, someone picks up YouTube, someone they're already scrolling through that level of how do you bring up this conversation without it being, you know, for lack of a better word, a mood killer, or I'm not saying, Hey, we're talking about this big, heavy elephant in the room. That's, you know, a difficult conversation that might make you look at me a different way or whatever. Instead, you're just yeah. having, Oh, this con this thing is up on Facebook, on YouTube, like this podcast, I can just listen to it in the car or wherever. And now I'm involved. Now I'm interested. Now my mindset is different because I'm just thinking and I'm listening and Oh, my view is different. That's I think Absolutely. why this media type is such a, M much more impactful. Yeah. Yeah, because I guess 
the benefit of social media, everyone's on the go yeah. in technology. It's and that was the other thing when I was talking to uh, Narendra Jacks about it, uh, Narendra's the owner of Kick Action Films. Say, okay, how long are we going to have this? And my viewpoint had always been, as a carer, I don't have half an hour. Mm-hmm. If I've got half an hour, I mi- I've missed doing something. Right. And that was my viewpoint. So I was like, give it 10 minutes. If we can have it a little shorter, great, because that's enough time to sit down, have some a cup of tea or have a biscuit, have your breakfast, your bagels, your donuts, your coffee, da, 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 whatever <laughs> it may be. But it also is that few minutes where you can switch off, do something that you want to do, and then be straight back present into what you need to get done for the rest of the day. And still have the impact. So that's why we were very cautious. Yeah, that's why we were very cautious about the timing. In terms of the impact and the script writing, till date, I'm still blown away by the work that uh, our director, Jacks had, had done. Because this is someone who's, who's not got a first-hand experience of uh, people with special needs and, and disabilities. So I've literally given him the case study. Yeah. Right. Go for it. Go down. So for someone to be able to create that impact, that visualization without that background speaks volumes for the work that he actually does. And again, that too for kick action films for putting it all together in such a short period of time. Yeah. And getting across, you know, multiple messages in that one you know, time frame. I think it speaks volumes, you know, getting across a message of, Hey, let's put out, you know, representation. Hey, let's put out a, you know, communication of, you know, loneliness. And what does it feel like to have on, on some level, you know, I think there's a stigma right about like on some level, a mental illness of, Hey, I'm alone. This is how I feel. I'm, I need to reach out to somebody. And then there's this, third level, which, you know, is so important. Like you said, there's someone else there to reach out to you to say, Hey, do you need some help? Is there something I can do for you? Hey, here's, here's, here's a resource. Let me give that to you. There's just, you know, so many levels involved that they captured in such a short amount of time, which I think is really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. And then again, biggest advocates that were supporting the three of us when we were putting it together was our wives. Uh, so we have to give them the, their due diligence and their Look support. At you. That was good. Good husband. <laughs> the late nights, uh, because obviously uh, filming, we wanted it to be in, in quiet areas, especially for the narration uh, and all the support that they had given us. It's, it's just been amazing. Uh, to be fair, when we put it out there, we only wanted maybe 500 views if we were lucky. Uh, but to be able to be to have the video seen by over 25,000 people, 64 different countries globally, some countries I've never even heard of. Yeah. Uh, just speaks volume for that. There is obviously something there that people are resonating with. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for, I mean, I think it, like you said, it impacts everybody. It, this, there's nobody it doesn't affect. You know, it, 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 it's, it's the same everywhere. We're all, we're all going through the same thing, no matter where you are. Yeah, absolutely. So now tell us a little bit. Now you've got, you're doing a vlog as well. Kind of piggybacked off of this. Did, the, did this come after? I'm assuming this came after the docudrama. So um, what, what are you doing with the vlog? Tell us a little bit about that. 
So the vlog came, yeah, a little bit after the the video went live. The video went live at the beginning of January this year, and I didn't want it to be a one hit wonder. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want the whole "this is me" to just be here's a video, that's it. Right. I can let's call it a day. Because to to be able to see that that impact, I mean, twenty five thousand people in what six months i think it was for me was unheard of yeah Even now, i'm still scratching my head saying really i've kept seeing the numbers on a regular basis to extend my life was like can you stop looking at it <laughs> but that's no, you're not impressed <laughs> i was like i hey, do you dig the numbers yeah. <laughs> didn't work but <laughs> so amazed by it and so uh, so were the other guys and the rest of the team that that form part of it. One of the characters actually is uh, works in the clinician background. She's a, a doctor, and even she said, jumped on board and said, "You know what? What you're doing is is fantastic." So the vlog came kind of as as a second baby child. So I was, we were contemplating with, okay, what do we do next? Do we yeah. create another video? Do we not? And I thought, let's create a vlog. Let's connect with people from the different areas of caregiving be it uh, from a mental health point of view male male caregivers which is very rare mm-hmm. because caregiving is more inherently a female orientated uh, background yeah uh, but yeah. we're one for equal opportunities for everyone mm-hmm. so I thought, okay let's get them on and it's always good to to understand and get a perspective of different viewpoints so we created that and Again, that's that's blossomed into its its own little thing. And recently, we've uh, been running a competition with a charity in India as well. Again, around special needs and learning disabilities. So, it's it's really creating that that platform for others to say, "You want? Hey, I exist. Yeah, I'm not just in the corner dealing with so many different things, juggling so many different facets of life. But it's also giving them an outlet to say, "You want." I want I want to share something. This is what I enjoy doing. Okay, great. If you're a writer, contact us. Let's create something. Yeah. So it indirectly empowers them as well. And that's what we stand for, just empowering others just to live life as fully and as free as they can be, because anything is possible. And to use their experiences that they've already got to achieve the goals that they really want to get. And hey, if I can do it, anyone can do it. I think that's great. I mean, I think that it's just another way to kind of continue to propel all of it forward and and continue to get the word out there. And, you know, like you said, like relieve that stigma a little bit and get people talking and communicating and in growing a network of people that need a community. I think that's going to be huge. I mean, there there's lots of siblings out there who probably feel alone. And this is you know, a huge opportunity for them to know that they're not. Um, and if it mm-hmm. gives them an opportunity to say, Hey, let me look and see what's out there in my community. And if there's a network of people that I can connect with, then this is a great chance for them to kind of see that and know that. So I'm glad that we could help kind of completely bridge I mean, that just gap. One of that is that uh, we were fortunate enough to have won a couple of, uh, international film awards for it. Uh, various film festivals that, that it got entered into. 
courtesy of Kick Action Films. And one of the biggest areas I really wanted to have an impact is is Asia, because there's a lot of support groups on social media as well as websites in the US or right. uh, in Australia, New Zealand, that sort of thing. But there's not so much of it in, in Asia. And it's also a topic which isn't openly spoken about as freely as it is in in the West or or in a first world country, as, right, as right. they right. call it. So for, for us, especially myself, that was one error which I really wanted to break into and say, look, this happens. I'm an Asian. I've opened up. It happens to all of us. It's there. It's clearly there, especially when you go traveling. And surprisingly, one of the first uh, awards that we received was from India. That's and exciting. We got it. Now let's really go to town with it. We've got our foot into the door. And since then, we've really been pushing within Asia. We've got, uh, I haven't looked at the numbers recently, surprisingly, but <laughs> we've got viewers in, in Malaysia, in Singapore, India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, the Gulf. Again, it, even in uh, the ABC islands, South America. And yeah. I was like, where are the ABC islands? I'd never even heard of it. And then they said, oh, you know, Aruba. And then, yeah, everyone knows. And then <laughs> you know, yeah. oh, that, that little dot, which I always thought was a piece of dust on the map. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like that's really to exciting, too, that like, you know, being award winning there only heightens the awareness and then is going in these countries where that is got a little bit of a stigma, it's going to be like, Oh, Hey, this is something I can talk about. This is something we can open up about. And if more than not only are people going to kind of reach out, branch out, it's going to be more of a thing there, but then hopefully it also creates more content, more, you know, more of everything and more representation in Asia you know, all around the world to just kind of really, really, really get the the ball rolling. Correct. I think it's not just about the geographical location as well. It's also from a societal point of view that on the news, you hear quite a lot about Black Lives Matter and the paying community, but it's just to re-empower everyone. It doesn't matter what your background, your color, your creed, your community may be. At the end of the day, you're human. You still got feelings. Right. Let's have these open conversations. Yes. And if you going through something that like this, great. I mean, just after the video went live, I got a phone call from from a local uh, well-known charity to say that if it wasn't for your video, one of their participants or users, whatever you want to call them, was actually considering ending their life. But there was something within the video that they had seen that they thought, you know what? There's got to be a better way. And and ending things is not the answer. And thankfully, they took that step. What it was in the video, I don't know. But you want, if it saved that one person, how many more has it saved that I don't know about? That's right. right. And for us, that's that's all that, that we wanted or that I wanted. When I heard that, and also a conversation I had with a very dear friend of mine in Gibraltar, who I went to college with. Again, same sort of thing. There were more men opening up about their emotions after seeing that video. Some of them saying, dude, 
I'm close to breaking down into tears after seeing that. Why did you never tell me? And again, it goes back to the cycle of, okay, when did you want to hear about this? Right. It was right the wrong time. I'm just used to getting, he was like, you want, I just want to give you a big hug. And <laughs> anyone who says that men are not emotional. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, Zero. we know in this house, let me tell you. No. <laughs> we yeah. just more candid about how we show it, but. Again, I completely blown away. The entire team have uh, more so my parents have just been completely blown away by the love and support and feedback that we've had from it. Because again, let's let me be very frank. None of this could have happened without my parents' uh, support and well wishes. Right. Well, they must and be proud. <laughs> I mean, your wife. Yeah. They must be proud. I mean, they they've created. I think probably, you know. <laughs> And you, I bet you they don't even realize this. You don't even realize this, but probably a culture inside your home that's a very niche. Yes, unique. but also, yeah, you niche and unique and just loving and it works. You know, it sounds like there was just a very good balance of, yes, you had some responsibility, but not more than you needed to have. You know, right. it sounds like you were a sibling as a sibling should be, a child as a child should be. You had some responsibility as a caretaker because that was your role in the household. And that's okay. Um, Sounds like your parents were great in balancing that. Absolutely. My parents were very, uh, very strong believers of, okay, this is your life. You've got to get an education, Mm -hmm. but you've also got to have that fine balance. And with you can add in hard work as well to it, even better. And that's the thing. I learned from a young age and as well as my other brother did that we've got to grind. We've got to start from a young age and start building something because no one knows what tomorrow is going to bring. Yep. Yep. And they really gave us every possible tool that we could have from a cultural point of view, uh, from community point of view, as well as everything else that they've shown us and just being as parents. And one of probably the biggest achievement I've been able to have, it may sound so, so simple is to be able to sit with my parents and just have that open, frank conversation. Because there are some things in the videos my parents were like, where did that come from? Yeah. We never knew about that. I was like, okay, but do you remember this time? Yeah. Like this incident? And I was like, yes. This is where that came from. And it's the aha moment. Oh, and, yeah. Ah, we now understand why you did things at certain times. It wasn't that you were being rebellious. It was because you were trying to find your voice and you didn't know how to because you were suppressed with all these other things that were going on. So it it seemed as though you were being rebellious, but actually you weren't. You were just trying to be heard. And now, love and abundance completely in the house. It's We still have our jokes. We still have our ups, our downs, like any other family would do. But you know what? We've got each other's back as we always have. And that's right. the thing with with all caregivers and with all people, regardless of whether you have special needs or be it intellectual or physical, there's always people outside of your immediate bubble who've got your back. You've just got to open, open up and talk, be it via a phone call or a text message, SMS, email, whatever it may be. 
That's nice. Perfect advice. Well, I'm going to ask you for a little more advice if you don't mind, but we ask all our guests if they have 30 seconds to speak to their community, but there's no pressure on the 30 seconds thing. And I don't know why we ask it. What advice would you give to our community? 30 seconds. That's never long enough. (laughs) I think the advice is just go with your gut. Don't feel as though you're alone uh, because you're not. Uh, I spend a lot of time thinking, okay, I'm alone. There's no one else that's going to be in a similar position with me. So I've got to get it done myself. I've got to figure it out myself. You know what? The minute you crack that wall and you start opening yourself up and start exposing yourself, sometimes you've just got the more skin you show, the better. But hey, I'm here. I'm vulnerable. I need help. The more the world starts actually helping you and saying, you know what, when you try this resource or when you try that resource, but openly embrace it, not from a point of, I don't need it, I've got it all figured, but just look into it because maybe there's something within what is presenting itself to you that can actually help benefit you or the people that that are, are caregivers. That's awesome. Or even not yourself or your immediate, someone else you may know, the wider community, it may help them. Yeah. So just be open, show as much skin as you can, and just be be comfortable with being vulnerable because that's where the real power is. With every breakdown, there's a breakthrough to have. You've just got to really persist with it. Be comfortable in your skin. Yeah. So what are you working on now? I mean, with COVID, it must be kind of not helping promote everything. You can't really get out there and travel and do everything you really wanted to do. So what, what are you working on now with promoting it and the vlog and all that stuff? Yeah. Thanks for reminding me about the lack of traveling. I know. No, <laughs> no one can travel. It's not just you. I miss traveling. But it's, <laughs> it's probably one of my best places to get respite. Oh, and it's my way of, of switching off for a couple of days, jump on a flight, go somewhere be able to completely switch out. So I miss heavily traveling. Uh, what am I working on this? There's quite a few little projects are, are, are in its infancy and coming to development, but COVID indirectly has, has come at a right time, not the pandemic because no one ever wants that. Right. Because the video started taking on its own little life, it's given me that time to really knuckle down and say, okay, where do we want to take this next? So we've got a couple of projects which are being written at the moment. We've got a a miniature book which is uh, being worked on at the moment, as well as uh, some animations which are coming out. All the information will be on our website in the next couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much what we're working on, and that should take us till for the animation to the end of the year, and then the book, hopefully, sometime early next year, will come up, and then we'll see wherever that goes. Hopefully, by then we can start traveling, start seeing everyone again, and hopefully create more possibilities with everyone. I was just yeah. gonna say, you guys should create like a Every, little a little book or something for kids. Yeah, what's London like in the spring? Fantastic. There you That's go. That's probably so. the best. Great. All year long. Come along. <laughs> Don't worry. We'll be there. And we can leave the kids at home. <laughs> they have Bring school and stuff. Yeah. The no, it's okay. Whatever yeah. they want to call it. So where can it? London is great. London is great. I mean, great I don't Britain. know. <laughs> UK. One of those things. 
United Kingdom, England, Great Britain, London. There's so many words. It's Somewhere. An island in between Europe and the US. That's not Greenland or Iceland. So where can everyone find you? Where can everyone find This Is Me? So all the information, uh, all our social handles, everything, just head over to officialthisisme.com, www.officialthisisme.com. All our information of, of the video is also there. All our social handles are there. And please feel free to drop us an email, contact us in whichever way you feel free. Perfect. Always willing to hear from people. Awesome. Nice. We'll make sure that we link everything in the show notes for you um, so that everyone can connect with you. Because I think that, you know, as we've said multiple times during this, like connecting with you guys specifically, I think is really important. Um, everyone needs to go check out the documentary on YouTube. It's needed right on the website. They can see it right on the website, right? Yeah. Perfect. Everything's embedded on the website. Uh, we also just confirmed recently with a company in the U S uh, that we're creating some content around disabilities and special needs. So they're, they're the, the middle go between, between an employee and the corporate world. So there's Perfect. an organization who are creating that. So we are teaming up with them as well. Oh, that's, that's awesome. awesome. Jinx. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you coming on and chatting with us, Prakash. We're super pumped to have you. We're, we were really looking forward to this one. Yeah. Again, that everybody needs to go check out. This is, uh, this is me. Cause, um, it was absolutely, absolutely moving. Um, it's very, very powerful. Yes, you did a great job. You guys take care. We'll catch up soon. All right. right. Sounds good. Have a good night. Thanks for everything. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, please make sure you share with a friend and leave a review. You can find all the resources mentioned in this episode on our Facebook or Instagram on at special about special. Thanks again. And we'll see you soon.